0: Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Pierce here with you and as always, I'm joined by one of the country's premier wellness experts. He is the food guru, uh-huh. the chiropractic champion. He is the naturopath, the naturopath seek counsel from. He is the longevity expert and all-round incredible human being. He is Dr. Damien Christoph.
1: Hello, legend. Oh, g'day, Piercy. What an unbelievable introduction. That's the that's the best yet ever. Thank you so much, mate. I'm going to use that
0: most of the time. You have
1: clearly. Wow, Mm. that was amazing, Piercy, I'm going to have to think of something good. I might even write something up too for you because you're a champion. Thanks for that. Happy New Year to you, by the way.
0: Happy New Year to you, and as always, in the spirits of all things 2020. This episode proudly brought to you by the 100 Not Out Longevity Experience. Times two in 2020, our first time to the Italian island of Sardinia, August 19 to yeah. 28, and then immediately followed by our fourth trip to the Greek island of Icaria, the island where people forget to die. We are going for 10 days to each blue zone. This trip is one of the most life-changing bucket list experiences you could ever have. Join Damo and myself and an exclusive group of like-minded people. For all the info... And to apply, go to 100notout.com. Now, Damo, I want you, if you can, to visualize this. We have a very special guest today. This is 1942, the 1st of June, uh, at 2 a.m. Australian Air Force wireless operator Bruce Robertson picked up a Japanese Morse code signal as Sydney Harbour was under attack by submarines. If it wasn't for Bruce's quick thinking, the Australia we have come to know and love may not be what it is today. At 99 years young and soon to celebrate his 100th birthday, Bruce Robertson today lives a contented, independent and active life in Sydney's Castle Hill region. He played cricket into his 70s, still sings in the local choir, has plenty of friends and an incredible family. If it wasn't for 100 Not Out listener Angela Fenton who is Bruce's granddaughter, it's highly unlikely we'd be having the opportunity to chat to Bruce today. So a heartfelt thank you to you, Angela. To hear his incredible Mm. story. We are thrilled to have Bruce Robertson join us today. Bruce, welcome to One Hundred Not Out.
2: Well, thanks for the call. Uh, quite happy to be with you.
1: Oh so are we, Bruce. We're absolutely wrapped. Yeah. Bruce, I've uh, I've watched some of the uh, the video footage of you on uh, on Facebook. I've read an article about you, and so much of what you've done. It reminds me of what my grandfather did as well, and we'll get into that in a little bit later on. And uh, it's it's just incredible. You've had an amazing story. One of the greatest stories that um, that that I read about you, and it's probably you know a big one for the history books of Australia, is you had you played a part in in dis- a big part in discovering that the Japanese are invading Sydney, like they were about to take on Sydney, and and that must have been an incredible experience for you.
2: Yes, it was. Um, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, actually. Um, my squadron formed at Richmond's Number 30 squadron, both fighters waiting for the planes to come to train. And uh, uh, we were helping out in various parts of the base, and I was helping out the signal section. And it was a uh, night shift, and I was just turning a dial around on the receiver, to listen out in case there was an aircraft in trouble, so we'd know all about it. Well, uh, uh, suddenly, uh, Morse, this Morse code hit me in the air very loud, and I couldn't write the letters. Letters uh, just didn't form anything we had. <laughs> it wasn't English. So it finally struck me that it was Japanese, so I yelled out, there's Japanese signal on the line here, Everybody came running. We uh, got uh, two direction finding stations to pinpoint onto the uh, where the signal was coming from. It turned out to be right at Sydney Heads. And it was the mother sub for the uh, midget subs that had just been dropped off into the harbour. and uh, And so we had a, a standby bomber waiting all the time in case it was needed and they went searching for them but couldn't find them. It was a dark night and they probably submerged anyway but the midget subs had just come in. Now, Sydney Harbour at that time had a big net across from South Head to Middle Head, a huge net and to prevent any shipping getting into the harbour. Uh, There was a gate on this uh, big net which dropped down into the sea floor and uh, allowed the manly ferries and other shipping to go through. The midget subs followed the uh, the manly ferries through and they were inside. There were three. Far out. One of them, um, we knew not what happened to it till about seven or eight years ago when it was found off Newport, uh, Newport Beach in Sydney. Uh, but two of them were active in there. One got tangled in the net, blew itself up. The other one, uh, mid-depth charges, the the uh, patrols in the harbour knew it was there. They were dropping depth out charges, but they evaded them, lined up near Fort Denison to uh, have a shot at the big American heavy cruiser called the Chicago which was right across our channel. You know, if they'd blown that warship up, that would have blocked Sydney Harbour, would have stopped the uh, the big transports taking troops overseas and every other thing too. So um, they fired their two torpedoes at the Chicago. The unfortunate thing for them was that they went underneath the ship. They had a point-blank range and they had the depth set at the wrong setting the uh, torpedoes went up on the uh, underneath and uh, one landed on the shore quite harmlessly the other one hit the uh, Cuttable, a sydney ferry uh, used by the navy as workshops and so on it killed 20 Australian soldiers the sailors
1: I'm sorry Yes, it's an incredible war story, isn't it? Like that Australia came so close. You often hear about Darwin, but you don't hear about Sydney, but that's, uh, that's quite incredible. I, I want to ask you something. Um, what I learned, Bruce, as I was watching the, the footage of you and reading about you, you spent some time in New Guinea, in Papua New Guinea, PNG. And, um, and my grandfather was over there. He was a radio operator. He was a wireless operator over there in PNG. And uh, he's he 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 only passed away this year actually, or well, just, just gone the year just gone. He was about to turn um, 100. He would have turned 100 in a couple of weeks' time actually. Um, and uh, his his name was John Rock Kennedy, and he was involved a lot with uh, with you know, Morse code and communication with you guys. And so my heart was warmed hearing your story and just and then watching, you know, reading the the text of you in PNG. What was it like in Papua New Guinea? Was that uh, quite incredible over there?
2: it was, it was a different country, different terrain. Uh, You didn't see any white people other than your mates. Yeah. There were no white women there. No. um, And so forth. So it was uh, hot all the time. You got used to that. You never wore a shirt. You uh, just did all the things you had to do. They worked. There were no buildings and if the aircraft had to be uh, serviced, they'd have to get up in the wing and fix the engines up, etc. But it was roasting hot, so they'd put towels on the uh, wings to uh, not get burnt to death,
0: sort of thing. Bruce, it's clear you've lived an incredible life. We've interviewed a number of um, war vets on the uh, podcast, a number of Holocaust survivors, a number of people that have. Lived these great long lives. Um, there does seem to be a pattern, and uh, from what we know of you, that uh, you do seem to follow this pattern. You're very engaged in your community. Can you can you tell us what you like to do to fill your time? I know you like to sing in the choir. Can you can you share um, a little about the choir and, and what else you like to do to keep yourself active?
2: Yes, the uh, choir is uh, on Monday afternoons. rehearse and sing all these songs that uh, you would know them all and uh, we're a group that are uh, pretty ancient Uh, some of them not quite so ancient but um, um, we have people with walkers and someone like that and um, to sing in my village and then about once a month we go to a village somewhere or other and sing for them and keep them happy and they all join in and it's good good for them, Keeps me occupied on Mondays, and uh, various other things, and through the week I can help people, um, I play indoor bowls on Friday afternoon, keeps everyone happy, it's a real laughing occasion, and I write things, uh, history and poetic things, and various
0: things I'm occupied all the time. So, Bruce, why why are you so active? Like so many people your age are not engaged in society. They're in four walls. They're living a sedentary life. They've probably just got the TV on all day. They're not um, engaging with other people. Um, they're, they're lonely. They're isolated. They may even be depressed. What, why is it that you get up and engage in society at 99, almost 100. What is it that that gets you to do that? Well,
2: uh, I don't want to sit around and just put my feet up and not do nothing and find I'm dead. Uh, It's as simple as that. Keep occupied. Uh, My neighbour and myself, we go to the opera house, we go to operas, we go to ballet, we go to the theatre, and uh, I put on a bit of a dance when we sing it. other villages and things, and uh, you're occupied all the time and you keep a happy life. It just uh, goes on day after day. I've got a calendar that's chock-a-block, of course. I do <laughs> exercises at uh, the mole Village at Castle Hill twice a week, uh, physical exercises. One day is in the pool, I do exercises. so keeps me reasonably well enough to uh, do the activities I do.
1: Yeah. Isn't that great? That's uh, it's so good. We've, uh, we often uh, talk about the things that it takes to live a long life and uh, the longer we've uh, you know, been running this podcast for now six years, the longer we, we keep going, the more we're convinced that it's people with a purpose, people who remain engaged and people who move that seem to live the longest. Not necessarily vegans, not necessarily people uh, who only eat meat, um, but people who just kind of live a a happy, balanced, fulfilled life. And it sounds like you're living a fulfilled life. Tell us about your family. You've got some grandchildren. You would have some great-grandchildren, I suspect. Do you see them often?
2: Uh, No. Uh, Occasionally. But um, they're scattered. Um, Queensland and uh, Tamworth, one grandson in Sydney. And... uh, Others not too far away. Just recently, I uh, had an invite to go to uh, Newcastle to speak to uh, the employees of a firm and spoke to 200 in an auditorium about uh, walking along the Kokoda track. Uh, Their boss decided he'd walk the track and said, this will toughen my staff up, so five five, uh, members of his staff every year walked the Kokoda Track. Now, I'd been there in the wartime, and uh, they wanted me to talk to them. And um, I um, uh, I just went up and talked to 200 of them in a big auditorium. I drove up to Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's just part of the scenery.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so just for listeners to to take that in again, you're in Sydney. You drove up to Newcastle, 99, almost soon to be 100. Spoke to a group of 200 people about your own memories um, in Kokoda. Uh, I think, as you said, Damo, purpose is um, is at the top of the list and there's no doubt, Bruce, it's a big that, deal. That, that you're living yeah. with purpose. Um, Damien did ask you about your family and you mentioned on a phone call yeah. um, with me the other day that uh, your beautiful wife Beryl um, succumbed to breast cancer ten years ago. And uh, your own words, she didn't have a wrinkle on her face. Um, you said when we were chatting that you've had to learn, you know, how to live solo. Um, but you did say in that conversation that you you became quite determined to make friends. Can you, for a lot of people out are listening that may have difficulty in in making friends and socializing, like what did you do and how did you do it? Because it's something that a lot of people have great difficulty with.
2: Decided to go into a retirement village, and I'm I'm quite independent. I mean, I can get up and do what I like, and and um, drive the car and I park it here. Everything's okay. But it's um, and you just go on from then. You go on living. Now, there's no doubt about it. I missed my wife certainly, but I knew that that uh, she wouldn't be coming back. I go to a church. I. I know that she went to heavens and, um, so that, um, she's okay. So what about me? I'm here. I'm not ready to go yet. I'll get a call one day and I'll be off, but I'm not yet. <laughs> so right. I just keep living. Right. I just that's go great. on. And yeah. uh, that's the attitude with it. And I've got wonderful friends all over the place, uh, people ring me i speak to school children every now and again They, they don't want to let you go they want to know what it was like when you were a boy when i went to school in the depression years and uh no one in the school no boys wore shoes all boys boy it. you couldn't spend money on shoes there might be three right? men in a street working out of a whole big street wow. and uh there were different times in those days, but you got through it all, and everybody yeah. pulled
1: together. Hmm. It's interesting because the people that seem to be doing very well in their uh, later years have had a fair bit of um, adversity. You know, you lived through the depression, you served in the yeah. war, you're in yeah. um, in Papua New Guinea. They weren't great, you know, circumstances. I'm sure yeah. that when you got back from the war, um, yeah. albeit um, you know you're able to build your life and you, you probably built your own. House? Did you build your own house, or did, you know, how how did all that go? You get back from the war, and you've got to establish a life. How, how did that go? Yeah. Was that easy, or was that difficult?
2: Yeah. Well, actually, my father died when I was three years old, uh, I had wow. two brothers and a sister younger than me. They're not, they're not living now, but um, we got by. Uh, when I was away at the war my mother had a massive stroke and died I know she was worried about me being at the war my two yeah. brothers were soldiers as well sure. and uh, so I came back and uh, married my fiance Beryl Yeah. and uh, two weeks after I was back I was sent up to Darwin to carry on up there so uh, Darwin just bombed a piece there were no buildings left in Darwin it was uh, it's a wonder the Japanese didn't follow on and come into Australia from from that bombing of Darwin. So yeah.
0: did you find out your mum had died whilst you were away at the war?
2: Yeah. Yes, yes. I couldn't come back. I checked with our doctor. Every unit had their own doctor and, and the padre like the minister. And uh, the doctor said, no, look, I knew that she was very ill. I got a note to say she was ill. And he said, look, it's a cerebral hemorrhage and she won't last very much longer. And there was no way I could get back from up there at all. No. It's it's remarkable that
0: you can put your life back together, uh, for want of a better term, with all of the challenge and and heartbreak that you've experienced um, in your life, Bruce. I know Mm -hmm. when... When you were going to war, I don't want to say that it was novel, but there there seemed to be a great patriotism and enthusiasm for, for people to go to war. And I know that you've got a really strong message, yeah, yeah, to serve the country. That 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 patriotic, um, you know, almost desire to help. How do you share this "don't go to war" message with people today? Um, because obviously it's a, it's obviously something that you've experienced firsthand. Um, how do you share that with people today?
2: Well, look, we had a war. I was trained to kill the enemy. The enemy was trained to kill me. We'd have shot one another. No trouble about it. Today, the people we fought, the Japanese, and they committed enormous atrocities to our prisoners of war in Singapore and so on. Um, But today, they're our best friends. What was the stupidity of the war? It's a great point. Uh, I mean, we go to Japan, they, I know, Japanese people, they're lovely. And here we are, I we, yeah. oh, would have killed one. No trouble. And uh, yeah. that's uh, the way it, it all uh, went that way. Um, uh, you know, war, You, when you're young, you do all sorts of things and you support your country and that's how you join up and so forth. We, Australia did were marvellous the Prime Minister Menzies said one Sunday night and I was lying in bed but I could hear him and then finally said Britain is now at war with Germany Australia is now at war with Germany and uh, that was enormous now what did Australia do? We sent four divisions 6th, 7th, 8th and ninth divisions overseas to fight Britain's war not Australia's war, but Britain's war in Europe. Yeah. And um, we sent these out. One unit, the 8th Division, was captured at, at Singapore. So they were lost. The others were over fighting there. The Japanese came into the war. And uh, we sent seven to 10,000 young airmen to Canada to train in the Empire Air Scheme to learn to fly they went to Britain, and they fought in Britain's war. They weren't here, so we denuded our country of all our yeah. fighting men. We had That's one unit here. The Armoured Corps was the only one left, and I've written about this, and uh, just say, what were the authorities thinking about? They left us high and dry, and the Japs were on our doorstep. They were at, uh, at Ley, Medang. They had taken those places, and Australia was in their sight somewhere along the line, and all our troops were overseas. We had two Air Force squadrons who were active, but that's all we had. And then the bow fighters came from my squadron, 30 squadron, and in 12 months they had fought in four of the five battles that saved Australia. Uh, And it was enormous, and... uh, This young Air Force squadron had the highest accolades of any unit in our Air Force here, and uh, they've named the base at East Sale in Victoria 30 Squadron, City of East Sale. That was my squadron, 30 Squadron. They did such wonderful things, especially in the Battle of the Bismarck Sea. They destroyed uh, 12 out of 16 ships, a whole army of men heading for lay, and um, an Australian masterminded the whole thing. It's a wonderful story. Nobody knows about it, but uh, no. it saved Australia.
1: <laughs> no, you really don't. I'm, Actually, I'm, I'm, you... Sorry I
2: got, I'm sorry I got back in the war talk. <laughs> 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 no,
1: that's all right. It's a fascinating story because you hear about it as being a world war, but you don't hear about it as being Britain's war. But uh, yeah,
2: Australia, Australia was high and dry. We were yeah. wonderful. The people were wonderful here. It was terrifying for them because there was no one here to protect them. The Americans came. They came
1: later. Hmm. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, The other thing that we see with people who are doing well in their old age, um, and it's fair to say that you are in your old age these days, Bruce, even though you sound so young. I can't argue. I can't
2: argue with
1: (laughs) it. You're almost 100. You're almost 100. You're almost about to raise your back, which is fantastic. Well,
2: I I Um, played cricket till I was 70, but I can't now. <laughs>
1: did you ever did you ever make a hundred when you played cricket?
2: No, I made um, I made seventies and eighties. And I just didn't want to go on. I just enjoyed it all and didn't worry me about going for a hundred. No, I good. did play in a game at um, yeah. uh, Billmore Oval against uh, New South Wales Juniors team before the, when I was about eighteen, and I made runs there. And the manager of their team came and wanted me to join New South Wales Juniors. And, of course, the war came and that was the end of that. But I enjoyed playing cricket and I was a member of the cricket ground for 44 years, I think. Mm. Oh, so that's fantastic. Uh,
1: that's great.
2: I played, I played all, all other sports as well.
0: Mm. Uh, it's great to hear the you, you essentially uh, you know laid the template for what it takes to to age gracefully uh, and do it well. You are soon to blow out 100 candles on the birthday cake coming up in March of 2020. <laughs> um, I know we'd all love to know, Bruce, and it's a question that you probably get a lot, but for the people that are listening that also want to live live well and age gracefully and ideally raise the bat and blow out the 100 candles themselves, what advice do you have for the listeners that that want to replicate um, what you will in March? What What do you say to those people that don't want to live their life in morbidity and poor health and, and unfulfillment. You know, you've lived a, a great life, a hard life and a, definitely a harsh and heartbreaking life at times but what advice do you have um, for the people listening in terms of how they can also live uh, a great long life too?
2: Well, you, you have to have, uh, you know, you want to uh, help your fellow man all along which you do and I've had sicknesses, i had dengue fever in New Guinea. Uh, I've had appendicitis and a couple of other things. But you overcome those and you just go on just the same. And you have you great friends. Uh, I also go to a church uh, and I've got great friends there. Not, that's not for everybody, but it works for me okay. And uh, um, associate, don't chop out the things that you know that you can do or you want to do. You think you want to see something there, go and see it. Go and do it. So uh, you just keep on top of things. Just You don't think about it, it just goes on every day. Just, just keep you. doing it.
0: Mm. Uh, mm. It's incredible wisdom. Great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Help your fellow man. Uh, be resilient. I can't believe you had dengue fever on top of everything else that you described in a yeah, of
2: Don't forget the bombs that were dropping outside and I had to. Take another feller out of the tent and put him in the trench, <laughs> and there was shrapnel dropping down around you all the time. And because all the anti-aircraft guns that fire their shells up, they're gonna, they blow up, and they're going to drop down on you. So you got uh, just like hailstones, and it's steel, uh, you know, in air raids and so on.
0: Oh, so, uh, if get all, all,
2: all those things, and you're great, mate. You have wonderful times from them
0: all. Um, can I ask you one final question before we wrap it up? Um, this is one I'd just i love to know the answer to. Well, you were there in 1928 when Charles Kingsford Smith and Charles Ullman, they flew the Southern Cross aircraft from San Francisco across the Pacific all the way to Sydney. It was the first time the Pacific Ocean had been crossed. It was 1928 and like you could back in those days, you, you went into town, you went into Sydney and you went straight up to Charles Kingsford Smith and Charles Ullman and, and shook their hand. You would have been eight years of age. Um, was it then that you knew that you wanted to be in the aircraft? Do you think if you didn't have that experience, you may not have developed this magnificent obsession with, with aircraft? Um, was that a, a great seed for what your life purpose and your career was going to be dedicated to?
2: Yeah, that was a big thing. I thought it was wonderful to see a little moth plane, There are only little moths in those days. Uh, my, my mother and my uncle, my mother's brother took our family, we all went into Sydney when Kingsford Smith was going to arrive back in Sydney from uh, Brisbane. They, when they flew the Pacific, uh, they hit the coast at Ballina on New South Wales' north coast, landed at Brisbane, and then the next day came to Sydney. Well, this uh, we were in Macquarie Street near the gardens and this huge plane went over us We'd never seen anything like it, the Southern Cross, which is quite small in today's today's, uh, conditions, and the little moths flying around it. Uh, They landed at Mascot, which was uh, just grass paddocks, and uh, came into the city in an open car, so people could call to them all the way in. Came to Martin Place to the Hotel Australia, which was a wonderful landmark for Australia, And uh, there were thousands around the entrance. I'm not kidding, thousands. Now, my mother said, we'll never see them here. Let's go to the other side of the road. She was the brony one. And uh, we went to the other side of the road. There were six of us. And down the car came, down Martin Place, to the Australia, much cheering. The car stopped outside the entrance. My mother said, Let's go. And over we went to the car. We spoke to uh, four of them. There were two Americans, one a Wiles operator, one a navigator, as well as Smith and Holm. And uh, we shook hands with them all, spoke to them, and oblivious to all these thousands of people around, we had them all to ourselves. They didn't hesitate to shake our hands and talk to us. It was absolutely wonderful. You wouldn't say that these days. No, it was absolutely breathtaking. Yeah,
0: well Bruce, oh, yeah. it's been an absolute joy to uh hear some of your stories and uh we are just so grateful uh that Just Drive One Hundred, you've been happy to share them with us and, and honestly from so the bottom generous. of our hearts and all of our listeners, a sincere thank you for the contribution you've made to our country, uh the bravery um and the courage that you've exhibited so that, you know, people like Damien and myself and our children and our families can Live with the incredible civil liberties and freedom that we do today. So, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, Bruce Robertson, for joining us. And as we like to wish all of our guests, may the rest of your life, Bruce, truly be the rest of your uh, the, be- the rest of your life truly be the best of your life.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure to know you two guys. I've known you for fully uh, days, like uh, seems like days and days. So uh, it was great to be with you. Thank you thank so you, much. Bruce. Thank you, Bruce.
0: Thanks, Bruce. Damo, one of the all-time great episodes, I dare say, of 100 Not Out to be able to share uh, the microphone with someone that's lived for almost a century of wisdom. It's incredible, Mm. isn't it?
1: Mm. Incredible. Amazing
0: unreal we'd love your feedback folks what have you learned from Bruce Robertson on this episode of 100 Not Out you can do that by going over to our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash 100 Not Out or on Instagram at Out. to find out more about Damo head on over to damianchristoff.com. myself marcuspierce.com.au please leave a five star review for this podcast in the iTunes store on the podcast app share this podcast with a friend open up the world of podcasts to your friends and family their life will never be the same again big shout out to everyone who makes this possible Joseph Tama, our editor, and you our incredible listeners. Until next week, as always, continue to make the rest of your life the best
1: of your life. This has been a production of the wellness Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch. Streaming Wellness into your lives.